Well, again, uh, good morning to everyone. It's uh, always the highlight of my week to be able to be with you. And uh, as always, I think it would be really helpful for you if you could take out that uh, colored insert in your service folder. Even if I haven't convinced you yet to fill in blanks, which I know will be helpful, I'm still still can ask you to, to take it out at least, set it on your lap, see how the Spirit moves you. Maybe you'll be filling in blanks and you didn't even think you would, okay? Um, we, uh, as I said before uh, and earlier, um, have been in this series called Shine, and I, I really hope that you've been en- enjoying going through this series as much as I've enjoyed um, studying for it and preaching through it. Um, honestly, even for a pastor, it's been just sort of refocusing for me because there's so much stuff to do, whether at work or at home and life, so many things that you could put on the calendar, so many ways that we get p- tugged and pulled, but to be recentered around the mission that God himself has given to his people has been quite invigorating for me. And the kind of the theme verse we've been looking at is a verse that Jesus spoke, some words Jesus spoke in his Sermon on the Mount. You've seen this all four weeks now. Uh, Jesus said, let your light, that is those who are Christians, who believe in Jesus as their Savior, Let your faith, let your light shine before men, before the world, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And and, and I really hope that even if there's just one thing that you're going to take away from this five-week series, that it's this, that everything you say, everything you do, how you act, what you say, what you don't say, all of it has an opportunity for you to either shine the light on Christ— or negative, or on the other side, be a negative influence on what people think of Jesus. And that's pretty humbling to think about. It's kind of nerve-wracking a little bit. You don't go by yourself. The Holy Spirit goes with you. But man, is it important to think about and to remember. And we're not going to have an opportunity to go through all three weeks. But I, I would just say this. If you haven't been here all three weeks, um, check it out on our website. Listen to those other uh, sermons. I really believe that this is uh, a series, like all of them, that are going to be a real benefit to you. So catch up online. Um, to get started today, though, I, I wanted to s- show you a picture of a tree. Does anyone have an idea? I know it's a grainy photo and there's no leaves on it, but uh, an idea of what type of tree this might be? I, yeah, wow. You guys are way better than me. I, I would say brown. You know, it's a brown. I, I do not know trees at all. I know birch are white and stuff. But anyway, yeah, um, it, it is an oak tree. And beyond that, and that it's kind of a, a large tree, there's not a lot memorable about it. But if you've lived in the Twin Cities for more than a year or two, I guarantee that you know this tree. Let's look at the next picture. Because every Christmas season, this is the tree on Cedar Avenue in Bloomington, that if you're r- driving along Cedar Avenue, it's up on the hill and everyone sees it. In fact, it is so brilliant that a few years back it got national exposure as just how kind of cool and awesome it looks. And it's amazing how you can take a very dull, ordinary tree and you put a whole string of lights, in fact, 41,000 to be specific, 41,000 lights on it and it becomes memorable. Things change with a string of lights. Um, I'm not a home decorator, but I've heard that this is true in decorating too. Take an ordinary porch, put some strings of lights, and all of a sudden it becomes festive, Cinco de Mayo, right? Um, Or whatever other gathering you have. Um, You take an ordinary room or, or, or hall, and you line it with lights for a wedding reception, and it becomes romantic. It leads to our first fill in the blank. 
that a string of lights can have a bigger impact than a single light shining all by itself. So like if, if that oak tree on cedar, the, the owner put one light bulb in it, do you think anyone would notice? Do you think anyone would talk about it? The a- obvious answer is no. You, you take your porch and you set a light bulb out there and turn it on. I mean, it's still ordinary porch. You put a string of lights and it changes things. A string of lights has a bigger impact than a single light. Now, a couple weeks back, we talked about how even just a little bit of light, one person can make a big difference. I took that lamp back into that room and, and it was dark and, and it lit up the room, just one light. But I will say this, that this is true not only with your porch and with that Christmas tree or that tree in Bloomington, it's also true with the church. That a string of lights has a bigger impact than a single light. Um, some people this morning thought that because it's prom season, we're going to have some people walk through this, you know. Um, that's not what it's for. Um, this is your opportunity to get a visual of how a string of lights makes a difference. I mean, think of there's just these two-by-twos here, black, uh, two, painted two-by-twos. You throw some lights on it, and it makes a difference. This is the impact, but tenfold, millionfold, that a local church can have. This is the type of impact that God wants churches to have when you take all these single lights and you bring them together into a string of lights. It can have an amazing, big impact. I'm going to get a little personal about Bethlehem for a second. Um, The truth is that we, my friends, have been having an impact in in the Lakeville community, in Farmington, and in the surrounding communities. That together, we've been having an impact. Um, I'm going to share with you some, um, some facts here without any reason of any of us patting ourselves on the back, but instead giving all glory to God. So 10 years ago, um, Bethlehem had about 150 members. We had about 15 kids regularly coming to K-8 through Sunday school. And we had about 20 adults regularly going to Bible class. So 150, 15, and 20. Ten years later, we have over um, 650 members. We have over 100 kids going to K through 8 um, Sunday school. And we have over 150 adults, 150 adults in either Bible class or a growth group. All glory to God. But you need to know what God has been doing through us, what God has been doing through you. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Now, the other thing that I, I want you to know is, is that um, we're not done yet. I mean, there are still thousands of people in these communities that either don't have a faith relationship with Jesus or aren't connected at a church. Now, here's the other thing that I take very personal responsibility over, and I think you should too, that for some reason, God has planted you in communities right now that are going through the biggest growth that they'll ever face or ever have. The biggest growth in any part of the Twin Cities. I mean, that is, I mean, why me, Lord? Why do I get to shine here? Why do you get to shine here? Why does this church get to be here? Because we have this awesome opportunity with thousands of people moving to this area that maybe don't have a faith relationship with Jesus or don't have a church home that they're connected to. That's why we decided a few years ago as a church that, you know what, 2.5 acres, 
It's not going to be enough for what God can do through us. That's why we, we bought 20 acres over Lakeville North High School. And I want you to know, and what we're going to talk about today from God's Word, that this is a church, whether you've been here a long time or you're brand new, that this is a church that's passionate about shining. And sometimes in conversations with people, I often get the feel that a lot of people are confused about why we do what we do. Today is an opportunity, as we look at God's Word, to better understand the why behind the what and to be thankful for a church that wants to partner with you. You are the church in this opportunity that we have to shine. So to do that, we're going to turn to one of the four historical accounts that, Jesus, that were written about Jesus' life. Uh, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all about Jesus' life. We're going to look at John. Now, John is um, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. In fact, he was actually one of, it seems from the scripture, from the Bible, one of his three closest friends. We got Peter, James, and John, okay? And so John knew Jesus very well, and with the Lord's guidance and inspiration and help, he wrote an account about Jesus' life years after Jesus uh, ascended into heaven. And so today we're going to take a look at a section where he wrote about how the first disciples joined Jesus as disciples and as Christians, okay? And we're going to look at John 1, beginning with verse 35. It says this, The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. Now, right away, this is confusing because this John is not the one I just described to you. He's not the one who wrote the book of John. This is, some of you might know him as John the Baptist. He was kind of the guy that came before Jesus and made sure people knew that Jesus is coming, the Savior that you need is coming. Sometimes he's called a forerunner. He's someone who went before um, Jesus. So John the Baptist had some followers, some people who connected with him, um, also liked what he was teaching, believed in the God, believed in God. We continue. When he saw Jesus passing by, that is John the Baptist, John the Baptist said, look, it's the Lamb of God. And again, if, if you're new to the Bible, this is really weird. I mean, to call someone a lamb, we don't use that phraseology very often. In fact, if we did use it, it, it usually would have the context of, you know, that football team was a bunch of lambs, you know, like they're gentle or a pushover type of idea, okay? This is not what John the Baptist is meaning when he says, look, that's the Lamb of God. It, it's a reference to how in the Old Testament there were all these sacrifices of lambs that were meant to be a shadow of a sacrifice that would take care of all sins, and what John is clearly saying is, look, that's the Messiah, the Savior, that we've been waiting all these years for, thousands of years. That's the Lamb of God. That's the Savior. We continue, verse 37. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, uh, those two disciples, we, we're going to hear in a second that one of them was Andrew, and then the other one was likely, although the Bible doesn't tell us, but likely John, the one who's writing this letter. And they see what John the Baptist said, and they begin to follow Jesus. But this wasn't like follow in faith. 
to be clear. This is like you're at the airport and ladies, you see the actor that you have a crush on going through Minneapolis for some reason and like I know you wouldn't just stand there and you know you, you're going to probably trail him a little bit and see what is he doing, you know, where is he going or, or guys, the actress or athlete that you like and you know you kind of, you're curious, right? That's what these two guys, Andrew and John, are doing. It's not following faith, it's curiosity. That sounds interesting. I want to know more about him. What's he doing? Verse 38. Turning around, because Jesus noticed these two guys following him, he asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Basically, their question was, we want to learn more about you. What's going on with you? We, we, we just want to, we'd like to learn about you. Verse 39. And Jesus said, come. You'll see. And so they went and saw where Jesus was staying and they spent that day with him. Do you, uh, do you realize how awesome of a day that would be? I think by the, my facial expression and the ones I'm seeing, I'm more excited about it than you, okay? That would, yeah, there we go, some smiles. Yeah, this would have been an awesome day to spend the entire day with Jesus, the Lamb of God, come to this earth. And it was awesome for Andrew and John to spend the entire day with Jesus. You know how I know? Because we know that Andrew and John both came to faith. So during that day, they went from, you know, strange, weird followers from the distance to people who were actually disciples, which means follower, followers of faith. People, two guys who put their faith in Jesus as their Savior. And we continue, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John the Baptist had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ, and he brought Andrew to Jesus, or brought um, Simon, who is also, we know him as Peter, brought Peter to Jesus. So Andrew's life and eternity is totally changed through understanding that Jesus is his Savior. You know what the first thing he didn't do? Like, go home and think, wow, I'm so blessed. Or join a church, which there weren't churches like we have churches, and, and become a member, which is okay to do. The first thing he did, he went to tell someone. Not the second thing, not the third thing. He didn't say, okay, now I need to go to church every Sunday. <laughs> the first thing he did was go and tell people especially his brother Peter here, about Jesus. And he brought him to Jesus. You know what happened to Peter? Because he was able to see the light, understand who Jesus was, he came to faith and also became one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples. An interesting thing. Look what happened the next day. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, which was about a 60-mile trip. They were down in the Jerusalem area at the time. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And through this meeting with Jesus and spending some time with Jesus, Philip came to faith. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. What do you think the first thing Philip did? Hmm. I think I'm going to keep it to myself. And no. He, verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of G Joseph. 
And so, so Philip is so excited that he goes and tells Nathaniel. Now, what do you think Nathaniel does? <laughs> Look what Nathaniel says. Nazareth? <laughs> Come on. Can anything good, like the Lamb of God, the person, you know, spoken about in the, in the Old Testament, can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, Nazareth had a reputation, you know, as kind of a poor town. Not a lot of influential, powerful people came from there. None came from there. Can anything good come from Nazareth? That town's got a bad reputation. <laughs> I was trying to think about, you know, what would be a comparable, you know, sort of comparison in our day and age, and especially in this area in Minnesota? I was thinking it's probably like how a few years ago when um, the Vikings signed Brett Favre, and uh, people are like, in their hearts, like, Green Bay? Can anything good come from Green Bay? I mean, I know nothing about, or in this case, they would have known something about Favre, but it doesn't matter who he is, he's from Green Bay. And then what did you Viking fans find out? We found out, it's, all right, it's good, this guy, he's from Green Bay, but I like him by the end of the year, right? How did, how did Philip or Nathaniel, oh, back up a second, I can imagine Philip thinking, all right, how am I going to convince him? I mean, uh, I could continue to argue with him and tell him, but I think I'm just going to do something else. And so... Philip says, come and see. So I could just continue to argue about it or I continue to try to convince or I could bring Nathaniel to Jesus and I know, I don't know he'll believe, but I know that'll be better than me trying to argue him into faith. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. You see, Jesus is the thing, the person, the message that every single person in this world needs the most. You know, we think that our, our, our biggest struggle is, is worry or our biggest struggle is cancer or our biggest, biggest concern is family dynamics or relationship problems. No, it's not. The biggest problem in this world is sin. And all of the other things, all those other problems, they're just kind of connected to the biggest problem, which is sin. And so what God decided to do in his love and infinite mercy was to send Jesus to take care of the big problem. And as many of you know, through his death in our place and through his resurrection, like we talked about earlier, we have hope. We have joy even in the hardest, most difficult situations. It's the reason why our first core value here at Bethlehem is very clearly that we're a church that's Jesus-centered. It's our next fill-in-the-blank. That Jesus is the center, biblically, of our faith and our ministry. Jesus is at the center because sin was the biggest problem and the thing people need to know the most is Jesus. So let's, let's talk about church now. As we see, what do you think the very best thing we could do for people who are coming through these doors, whether they're members or guests or just or regular attenders, what's the very best thing that we could do for them? doesn't matter who the person is. It's the same thing that Andrew did and Peter did, and Nathaniel did, and Philip did, it is to bring 
people to see and understand as clearly as possible who Jesus is. Now, we don't have the benefit of saying, hey, um, Nathaniel, come with me and I'm going to show you Jesus in the flesh. That would be nice. But we can do something. We can make the message of Jesus so clear, so unmistakably easy to understand, not confusing, not distracted, that people will understand who Jesus is and experience who he is through an understanding of what he's done. And so our biggest mission as a church is to lead people to Jesus, to lead people to Jesus, to make sure that when people come here, they understand who Jesus is. There's nothing more important. So how does this church work into that? Well, before I share that, I just want to give you a little bit of a real-life um, story of something that had hap- happened to me. So when I was in college, um, during the summers, I worked at a lumber yard in a suburb of Milwaukee. And every summer for about five years, I worked, five summers, I worked with um, a group of guys who not a one of them, you know, went to church and from every you know, impression that I received, I'm pretty sure, although only the Lord knows the heart, that none of them were Christians. The things they said and the things they did. And, and uh, so you can imagine when they heard that I was studying to be a pastor, they thought that was pretty funny. And the day that I told them that was the last day they called me Ben. For the rest of those five years, my name there at the lumberyard was Pastor So like, you know, on the schedule, the manager wrote pastor. When I went out to do a delivery, they wrote pastor on the thing. On the loudspeaker, pastor, come to the office, you know, and I'm 18 years old, and they just think it's the funniest thing, you know, that I'm studying to be a pastor, okay? So over that time, though, it was a really kind of a godsend because everyone knew that I was a Christian, and so I had an opportunity to talk with them about Jesus. They asked me questions. I asked them questions to kind of get them thinking. But looking back on it, you know what I never did? You know what I was never comfortable in doing? I'm just telling you how I felt. These new people who are just learning about Jesus, I was not comfortable inviting them to the church that I attended at that time. And let me tell you something about the church I attended. They had the light of Jesus shining brightly. They talked about Jesus. They shared the message of Jesus every single week. But I still did not feel comfortable. And as I'm I was feeling for years kind of like embarrassed about that. I, I, was, I began talking to other Christians that felt the exact same way. That they would run into people who were totally unchurched, that hadn't stepped foot into a church, and they didn't feel comfortable inviting their friends to their church either. I'm like, why is that? The gospel is there. And I think I know what it is. Is that, I don't know about all the churches you've attended, but the church I attended at that time There were a lot of things going on there, a lot of the the practices that they had that kind of covered up the light so that even though we cannot add anything to the light, it wasn't as easily seen. So what am I talking about? 
Well, sometimes there are churches that when a guest comes, it does not feel welcoming. And they're not acknowledged. They, they don't even feel like anyone has even noticed that they're there. And that can become like a big old bucket in the way of the gospel because they're thinking the old time about how, how uncomfortable they are and are missing the message of the gospel, of the light that's being talked about. Sometimes it's maybe a church that doesn't take good care of their building and so it, it's run down or maybe it's just really dated, you know, the, the orange shag carpet from the 70s or something and like, what's going on with this? I mean, I want to, I need a message that's relevant to my life and yet look at the, and they're distracted and it becomes a barrier to the light that's there. Um, I think sometimes it's how services are conducted and, and how the, the pastor maybe um, doesn't really seem like he's connecting with the people and at times maybe also doesn't acknowledge that there are guests here who may not know what's going on maybe the first time in church and, and it just, they just kind of go on and, I mean, I have no idea where page five is or page five. I don't even know where they are. If I knew they were on page five, I could probably find it type of thing. Or maybe it's, it's songs where very few people understand everything that's being sung. Or maybe it's sermons where, very, where there's words that are hard to understand, but the, the, the preacher just puts them out there but doesn't describe, doesn't explain them, or doesn't think about how context is really important to this section and doesn't explain that. And the list can go on and on and on and on. And so what we want to do, what we're passionate about here at Bethlehem, for you to understand whether you're a new person or, or a regular member, is that we want to, our goal, our mission, is to lead people to Jesus. And we feel that the best way we can do that is to remove obstacles that might make it hard for people to see the light of Jesus. Because they're uncomfortable because they don't understand what's going on, because the pastor's talking with words that they don't understand. And I want to be very clear. There is absolutely nothing we can do to make people believers. There is absolutely nothing we can do to make Jesus shine brighter. He already shines as bright as he needs to. There's nothing we can do to add to the gospel but we can remove obstacles so that people can see the gospel more brightly. You know, that's our next fill-in, that we remove obstacles so that all people can see Jesus clearly. We remove obstacles so that all people can see Jesus clearly. Um, so sometimes I, I get questions about why do we do this or why do we do that? Um, one of them that I've received often is, what about that little introduction that you give to the confession of sins? Why, why do we do that? It almost sounds like you're saying that not everyone has to confess their sins. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Think about it. If you are a brand new person who doesn't know anything about sin and grace, and you walk in and one of the very first things you're asked to do and basically just, you know, assume that you're going to do is, is read some words and confess them and you know nothing about Jesus and know nothing about sin and grace, it's going to be a stumbling block. Why did I just do this? But if we give a little bit of an introduction to it, 
And then, you know, obviously our members, you're going to have to hear me say it over and over again. But that's okay. You'll live, right? What an awesome opportunity we have to remove some obstacles. Or I bet many of you, if not most of you, knew that there's John the Baptist and John the disciple of Jesus, and you knew that the one who wrote John was one of the disciples. Why does he have to say that all the time? You know why? Because there's people here that didn't know that. And so we who know should be cognizant of those that don't. You know why? Because our goal is to lead people to Jesus, and we need to remove obstacles, not so that we can make it shine brighter, but so that it shines, so that people see it. We remove, we remove those obstacles. Now, in order for us to do that, I'm going to be honest with you. In order to be a member of this church, I'm going to be honest with you. It requires a shift of thinking. Here's what I mean. The very first question we ask ourselves about anything and everything, whether it's in church or outside of church, is, do I like this? So like you go to a restaurant, right? And you're looking at the ambiance, you're looking at the, the food, the, how the service, and your first question internally, you don't say it, you just think it, do I like this? Or someone has a, an idea at work, your first reaction is, do I like that idea? How does it affect me, you know, type of thing? And, and maybe there are some churches where the, the pastors and the leadership are going to allow their members to ask that question first. This is not one of those churches. The first question we are to ask ourselves, based on the mission that Jesus has given, is not, do I like this? The very first question we should ask is something like this. How is what we're doing allowing people to see Jesus more clearly? Is this something that is helping people see Jesus clearly? Or are there obstacles in the way for all people to see? I think that's the thing I like about this. We remove obstacles so that all people can see. Not just the church people, not just the people who are, know what's going on, but so that every single person who comes through our doors can see Jesus clearly. And so our next fill-in is that change of mindset. Mission needs to supersede self or be more important than self. Now, Mother's Day is the perfect day to think about this because this is something moms do all the time. So as an example, mom, you think back to baby stage, maybe you have a baby, and the baby wakes up, the toddler wakes up in the middle of the night. Now, think about this. If your reaction to baby crying was based on what you want to do or what you'd like to do, you would not get up. If your question was, do I like getting up right now? You wouldn't get up. Or moms, you know, you've been home all day with the kids or maybe for some of you, you've, you worked all day and now you're home with the kids and supper needs to be made and you're the one that's on duty for doing that. And if the first question you asked yourself was, do I like making supper right now? You would, if your actions were dictated by that question, you would leave the house, go to a restaurant by yourself, and order a glass of wine, and kick up your feet. That's what you would do. And dad and the kids would be like, where did mom go? (laughs) But you know this, moms. Mission supersedes self, so you do things, you think things that may not be your favorite, but you do it because the mission of being a mom is more important than exactly what I like or want to do. 
The same thing has to be true in the church if we're going to carry out the mission that God has given us to do. Because there's a greater mission than being a mom or a dad or a kid or a husband or a wife. It's, it's the mission of reaching people that don't know Jesus. And so we need to play, be a place where all people can see Jesus clearly, even the new, newbies, <laughs> even the first-timers. Um, I, I sometimes, over the years, have gotten this comment uh, from people, and it, it's very well intended. Sometimes it's even in a joking way, but it's to be like, Ben, I can tell that you're really passionate about band music. I'm like, uh, no, not really. Not really. I mean, I don't mind it. You know what I'm passionate about? The mission. I'm passionate about reaching all people with the message of Jesus. So I'll tell you, very honestly, if the best way to reach all people was to have no music, that's what I think we should do. If the best way to reach all people, to remove stumbling blocks, was to have an accordion and polka music, I would not like it. Murray Lemke would, one of our members. But that's what we would do if that's the best thing. If the best thing to do to reach all people was to go to our new property, build grass huts with uh, um, dirt floors, that was the way to reach all people, the best way. That's what we would do. What we should do. Because mission needs to supersede self. And you know what's the best? The best thing is when mission and what I like are the same thing. (laughs) That's what's the best. And when that's not the same thing, people get upset. It's not always going to happen. But when the first question we ask ourselves is about mission, we understand. It makes more sense. It's the why behind the what. My simple application for you this week is this. I want you to first of all understand who we are as a church and how we are trying to carry out the mission that Jesus has given to us. And then I want to give you this guarantee, that when you invite someone to come to church here with you, there's two guarantees. One, we're going to do everything as humanly possible to allow them to clearly see Jesus, and that they're going to feel welcomed. And as a string of lights... What amazing things we can do together with the Lord's help. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the gospel, that the gospel and the gospel alone has changed hearts and still does change hearts. Dear Lord, as we have been entrusted with sharing that gospel as individuals and as a church, we'd ask for your guidance to, to help us make decisions that always put mission ahead of personal preference, mission ahead of self. That's sometimes a hard and tricky thing to do, Lord, and we don't always get it right all the time, but help us to to stick to that, to that mission that you've given to us, and then to bless our work because we need you. We need you. And Lord, we also thank you for the work you've done, or will do, I should say, at the 11 o'clock service in the heart of, uh, uh, of Scarlet. We'd ask that through her baptism, we'd ask that you continue to be with her all the days of her life until that day she's with you forever in heaven. And dear Lord, we, we also pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. At this time, um, our ushers will be gathering our thank offerings, uh, which is an opportunity first for us to give back to the Lord who's given us all things, but then also it's an opportunity to support the, the ministry that is going on here, the gospel ministry. So as our ushers, uh, we'll, we'll be taking that offering at this time, and all of you are invited and asked to please take a moment to sign one of those Black Connection books. Thank you. <laughs> 